to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Second Corinthians chapter 2 says, But I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came I should have sorrow over those whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. But if anyone has caused grief, he's not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. When I read that and, and, and studied that, that sentence was kind of hard for me to understand. But if you take the first part of the sentence and the last part of the sentence, uh, the verse, it makes sense. But if anyone has caused grief, not to be too severe is, is what they're talking about. But he, he puts a little parenthetical in there. He's not grieved me, but he's, he's grieved you guys, all of you to some extent. Just don't be too severe on him. Verse 6, the punishment which was afflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. So that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end, I also wrote that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that any, I have forgiven that one of your sake, I'm sorry, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, because I did not find Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I departed to Macedonia. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are, this is a, an interesting statement here, gang, for we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death to death and to the other the aroma of life to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Father, we have before us the continuation of Paul's letter, a continuation of Paul's subject matter he's addressing, he's addressing with Corinth, the, the church in Corinth. But then he, he begins to address something else at the very end of this chapter. Lord, I pray that you help us to understand this passage. Not just to understand it, what it says, but Lord, how we might see it for what it was, but also to see what it means to us. How does it apply to us? What, what does this mean to us? Why are we reading this? Why are we studying this? Why are we learning about this? What, is it, what, what value does it have to me in my daily life? 
I pray, Lord, that you would bless this time. Open our eyes, open our ears, and help us to become men and women after your own heart. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. And so Paul is continuing on the subject matter that he has been dealing with the Corinthian church. Um, He's talking about here uh, uh, two different things. He's talking about uh, him not getting into, you know, coming back through uh, Corinth and, and meeting with them. And he's addressing some of the people that are, are kind of uh, sowing discord amongst the brethren because they're saying, well, hey, Paul's fickle, man. He's not, he doesn't do what he says he's going to do. Uh, he said he was going to come back, but he didn't. So let's not listen to Paul anymore. You know, and, and we've talked about that over the last couple of weeks about how, you know, when you have people that sow discord amongst the brethren, you know, it is one of the seven things that God hates. If you go back into Proverbs chapter six, you say you can see that. And, and well, let me just pop it out here for you and, and look at it. In Proverbs chapter six, it says this. It says, uh, uh, these six things, and this is just the way that Poetry, Hebrew poetry is written. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. So what have we learned in just that verse? There are seven things that are abomination to God. If you ever want to know what is it that God considers an abomination before his eyes, and if you are, if you have any, uh, um, complicity in any of these things, know this, this is what God says, I, I hate this. this I, my soul detests this. This is what he says. A proud look. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift to running to evil. A false witness who speaks lies. And one who sows discord amongst the brethren. Those are the seven things that to God are an abomination. And you see that there's kind of a a theme there. That you see that, you know, you see a, a, a proud look. When you think of a proud look, a proud look is a lie. I'm presenting to you something that I'm really not. I'm presenting something to you that I wish that you would think of me, but you don't think of me. But if I say it enough, maybe you will. Maybe you'll think that I'm that great. Maybe you'll think that I'm that awesome. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a lying character. That's a lying presentation of yourself. That proud look. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. I think of, you know... Another part of this is is bullying. I think God hates those who bully people. I think that to 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 hurt the innocent just because you can is something that that God just loathes. Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans. I, I uh, spent some time over in uh, Russia. Um, with my good friend, I mentioned him last week, Bob Davis, um, 
back in 1993, 94, something like that. We went over to see if we could start some Bible colleges over there. So we went and traveled through Russia. And then we went into Poland. And then we went over into uh, um, Austria. And we spent some time in Austria there. And, uh, and as we were there in Austria, we, we drove around and we found this place that we wanted to go and visit a couple of castles and what have you. And we happened to see that there was this one castle that had a, had a, uh, uh, a uh, what do you call it, a, a, a special presentation, not a special presentation, but a, like a, it's a theme where they bring all these wares in and, and, and what have you, where you go in and you pay to get in to, to see, you know, uh, well, it's not a reenactment, but... Uh, I, I don't I don't know the word that I'm trying to use, but um basically what this was is that this this castle had all these and, and please don't look down on your pastor for this, but it was Bob's idea. Um <laughs> see he's not here I can blame him. But it's torture devices through the years. Medieval torture devices. And what shocked me were some of these torture devices were still used up and in, into the 70s, 1970s. And some of these things were just horrible. They were absolutely turn your stomach horrible. And it was in this castle that was, you know, maybe a 15th century castle, you know, which just made it all the more eerie. You know, and so you're going all through the floors and going down even into the dungeon of this place, and it's cold, it's wet, and it's dark, and it's stone, and and it's just, and then you're there, and it's just all these torture devices, just horrible. Somebody had to come up with the thought of, hey, let's put a person in this this rack, and let's put this sharp point right there on his spine to where he can't go and we'll just every hour or so we'll just turn this knob to push the point in just a little bit more just a little bit more just a little yeah that'll do it i mean what kind of a mind comes up with something like that that's what god's saying it's a heart that devises wicked plans now it's not just the person that comes up with something so graphic like that but it's also us when we have someone that we dislike that we try to f- organize something to, to put someone down or, or we, we fabricate something to, to, to hurt someone because we don't like them. Just know this, God hates that. He loathes that. Feet that are swift are running to evil. A false witness who speaks lies. Again, another lying. God hates liars. But then God, that seventh one, God, he, he just loathes those who sow discord amongst the brethren. You know, there's nothing worse that can break a family up, can break a, a church up, or break a, 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 a business up, break a family up, than one that's sitting there sneaking behind everybody's back and sowing discord amongst them. And... Probably all of us have done that to some extent in our life at one time or another because we were afraid of losing something for ourselves. Hopefully not. Maybe, maybe you haven't. I hope not. I hope all of us haven't done that. But, but it's in that that, that Paul is going to address that here right now. 
that he, we addressed it a little bit last week. He's going to address it a little bit again this week. He's saying, here's, here's the thing. Discord is not a good thing. Discord is not a good thing. Um, Paul is also going to deal with the church and the way that the church deals with things. And we'll focus mostly on that here in just a second. But in chapter 2, as Paul continues on with this, he addresses in the, the first seven, eight verses, he readdresses this issue that he wrote to them in his last letter about a man that was living in grievous sin and the church's response to how they were dealing with that sin. And I don't have time for you today, but you can. You, it's not going to be too far away from you uh, for you to do this, but you can just flip over uh, to the left, maybe, maybe in your Bible, maybe 12 pages, and it would be 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to read this chapter here real quick. It's just 13 quick verses, but um, this will give us a foundation for what we're going to be looking at with Paul here in the beginning here. Paul says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. And so we have this sin. It's a grievous sin. This is what Paul's talking about. Such a man. This is the man that he's talking about. Um, second letter to the, the second Corinthians is in chapter two is addressing this issue that Paul was addressing in the first in first Corinthians chapter five. It's talking about this guy, but not only was it talking about the man, but it was also talking about the church and its response to this situation. He rebukes the church here in verse two. He says, and you're puffed up. You've not rather mourned church that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in body, but present in spirit, I've already judged as though I were present concerning him who has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, Paul is not pulling any punches here, is he? He's saying this is a grievous sin and church, you think that you're loving by allowing this in the church. We talked about this back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You can get online, you can go back and listen to the message if you want to hear what we talked about. But here's the thing, Paul's saying, here's the thing. The church thinks that they're being a loving church because this guy continues to be fellowshipping in this church. Probably even bringing his mom with him. And they're there and they're worshiping and they're raising their hands in the worship time and everybody is sitting there going, aren't we a loving church? Yeah, they're sleeping together. That's his dad's wife. But you know, we're, we're tolerant. We want, we, we're all love. We're all encompassing in our love. And so here's the thing. We're just showing them the love of God. But here's the thing. They're professing to be believers. This guy is professing to be a believer of Jesus Christ. He's professing to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, are you guys nuts? Here's a guy that's professing Christ. And I'm telling you, I'm absent. But know that I'm there in spirit. And if 
this is what you need to do. By the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to deliver such a one unto Satan for the, for, for the destruction of his flesh that his soul might be saved. This is not good. He, he goes on in verse 6. He says, your glorying is not good. This isn't good. Do you not think that, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge that leaven, that leaven out, that old leaven out. Clean it out that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, nor with a leaven of malice and of wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He's saying, hey, church, in sincerity and truth, deal with this issue. Deal with this issue. Because this is a cancer that left untreated, it's malignant. And if you leave it alone, it's going to spread and it's going to destroy the whole of the body. It'll destroy you all. I wrote to you in my epistle, verse 9, not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Know that he's addressing this, this guy still. Don't keep company with this sexually immoral person. Here's the thing. He says, yet I did not mean... With sexually immoral people of the world or with the covetous or the extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who's a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a reveler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. And so Paul makes a distinction that says, listen, I'm telling you to move this guy out of the fellowship because he is a cancer. Deal with him. Confront him on his sin. Remove him until he confesses, until he, he repents, until he gets out of that life. Remove him. Don't even eat with him. Don't give him pleasure. Don't include him in, in spiritual things. Because here's the thing. He's walking upon the blood of Jesus Christ. And you are complicit in his sin. So remove him. Now, I'm not saying don't go and minister to people that live like he's living if they're unsaved. Because they need to come to know Christ. But this guy claims to know Christ. His life should be different. His life should be radically different than what, he's, than, than what he's representing right now. You need to remove him from the fellowship. For what, I've, what have I, he says, I'm not saying get away from people in the world that live like that because what have I have to do, what, what have I to do with judging those who are on the outside? Do you not judge those who are on the inside? That's who we're supposed to be judging. But those on the outside... God judges, therefore, put away from yourselves that wicked person. You've got to remove that wicked person. So there is the issue that Paul is dealing with here. He's going, there's a person here that's in grievous sin. Get him out. But here's what's happened. <laughs> and, and, and we have to ask that question. And, and I'm going to just really quickly address this thing. You know, why discipline anyone in the church? Anyone. Why ever discipline anyone in the church? Why is Paul calling this person to be disciplined? It's to remove spiritual and to some extent social covering from the one that's being disciplined. 
It removes them from that place where they think, oh, everybody's okay with it, so God must be okay with it. It's okay. I found the loophole. I'm good. I'm good. And that, now it's true that today it becomes a bit more difficult to discipline within the church because if someone even gets a little offended in a church, they'll often run to another church and in some cases they'll even speak of the church that they were attempting to be disciplined or that, that was attempting to discipline them. But should that ever dissuade a church body from, from discipline, from true scriptural discipline? Absolutely not. And why is that? Because a true church, and what I mean by that, it's a church which ascribes to the unadulterated word of God and attempts to live by it, knowing that they fail at times, but it's never okay to stay in the failure. It's always, it's always to be doing what it is that the word of God says, and when you found out that you're making mistakes, get rid of it and do the right thing. Correct it and do the right thing. So that is a church that it's attempting to live by the word of God in order to bring glory to God. A true church has one shepherd and it's not the pastor. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the shepherd. The pastors, elders, deacons or leadership, they are the ones who do the will of Jesus and trust him with the results. That's what a true church is supposed to do. And so... Inasmuch as a church should not be dissuaded from proper scripturally directed acts of discipline, they should also not be too eager to employ church discipline simply because the Bible tells them that they can't. And that's what Paul is addressing here. He's going, hey, his, his, his word here in verse, you know, he's talking about, um, uh, he says, you know, in verse 5, if anyone has caused grief, he's not grieved me, but all of you to some extent. Don't be too severe on him. And what Paul's saying here is that this guy who's doing this, who did this, he didn't necessarily cause me all that much grief because I'm away. It caused me grief because I'm there in spirit, but you are around it all the time. It's caused you to some extent the more grief. But I'm also asking you not to become too severe. This punishment which was inflicted by the majority of the church is sufficient for such a man, addressing the man of chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, so that, on the con so that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. Now, do you understand that Paul is trying to bring it back to love? He said it there in verse 4 about himself. That you might know, the very last half of the verse of chapter 4, that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. He brings it back to love. Church discipline, apart from love, is legalism. Church discipline, apart from love, is legalism. Church discipline, with love, is scriptural. And it's doing things not because I want to do it, but because God has directed you to do it. If God directs a church to, to do something, he, they need to do it. Because, again, who is the head of the church but Jesus Christ? 
And, and, and so here's the thing. Paul has to address these guys saying that this guy, you need to forgive a guy and comfort him lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow, he says there in verse 4. You, you need, I'm urging you to reaffirm your love to him. Because here's what's happened. Paul has already addressed it. And I think you see the, the story within the lines of these verses. They took Paul's first letter and they said, wow, you know what? He's right. I mean, we were being tolerant, thinking that we were being loving. We thought that we were being Christ-like. But now Paul said, no, you can kick that guy out of the church, man. You need to deliver that guy's soul to Satan, that his you know, flesh would be destroyed and that his spirit would be saved. All right, who's going to do it? Well, I guess we'll all do it. And that's what he talks about. He says the majority. He talks about the majority of you. The majority of them had, had come in. Verse 6, the punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. So the majority came to this man and said, and I don't know why I keep pointing over here. Nobody will ever sit over here again. And I'm not pointing to, I'm just pointing to these chairs because nobody's there, okay? Nobody's there. I'm not pointing to anybody. But the church kind of comes to this person and says, hey, and we don't have any Ralphs in here, so I'm going to name him Ralph. Hey, Ralph, I know... Oh, do we have Ralphs? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Ralph, we have accepted you in here because we thought that what we were doing was Christ-like. We know that you're sleeping with your dad's wife. And, and to God, that's not good. And you doing what you're doing is actually drawing us all down. It's dragging us all down. And so Paul told us to deliver, your, to, to deliver you to Satan for the destruction of your flesh. And so to Satan you go, man, until you repent. You, you, need, to, you, need, to just, you need to get out of here because you're a cancer. And so you need to leave. We were showing tolerance, but we found out that we shouldn't do that, so you need to leave. Don't come back. And so he's removed from the church. And he's removed from the body of believers. Now, you have to understand, unlike Sarasota, in Corinth, you couldn't just go to another church. There was one church to go to, and it was right there. And so all of those friends, all of those brothers and sisters that this person had had gone to battle spiritually with are now saying, hey, we can't fellowship with you, man. You're living outside of the realm of, of who Christ would have you to live grievously, man. You need to remove yourself from us because you've become a cancerous tumor. And we've got to remove you. Be gone. And, and so he goes. Now he's out there and he's not finding it any, anyone else. And what's happened, the story between the lines is that this guy understands, hey, you know what? You're right. I am living in sin. And this isn't right. I've always known it wasn't right. I blew it. I've sinned against my dad. I've sinned against this woman who's my mom, my stepmom or whatever. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against the church. I've sinned against my own life. I've sinned against all of this. I'm a wicked guy. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. And what does the Lord do when you do that? When you say that? What do you think that the Lord does? 
I'll forgive you in 30 days. I'll forgive you in six months because you were with her for six months. No, the Lord will forgive immediately, right? Right when you call out for repentance, the Lord is right there. And he forgives. Well, here's what happened. He called out to the Lord and the Lord forgave him. But he came back to the church and says, can I come back in? They said, no, you're out, dude. You're gone. You were a cancer. You're not being welcomed back into this place. And so all of a sudden, they were, they were severe on both occasions. They were so severe, and, and it sounds kind of a weird word to use as severe, but they were severe in their accepting of his sin, in the tolerance. And Paul says, what are you doing? What, what, what in the world is going on with you? Your glorying is not good. This isn't good. Oh, well, okay, well, then we'll go to the other side of the spectrum. We'll, we'll swing all the way from here, all the way to the other extreme and say, get out of here. You're not welcome back. And then the guy goes and repents. Now, what are you going to do? Paul says, don't be so severe with him. Here's what you need to do. Forgive and comfort that guy, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I'm urging you to reaffirm your love to him. Why? Because he can be of use to the Lord also. And what he is, is he's become a trophy of grace. He's become a trophy of grace of what can happen to a man or a woman who's been caught in sin that, that has been dealt with scripturally and God has dealt with them and they've repented and they've come back into the church and they've said, hey, I've blown it. Would you accept me back in? The church would say, as Jesus would say, absolutely. Absolutely, brother, come on back in. I missed you. Have you ever done something wrong to somebody that you loved and you've hurt them? I'm just thinking of one right now. I blew it with a friend of mine. Most of you guys know him, Tim Romero. Tim, when he was here many years ago, um, he thought that he wanted to go to California to go to a Bible college out there. I was going to lose my friend. He was my best friend here. And he says, I need you to write up uh, a recommendation to me and send it out to Damien Kyle out there in Modesto. And I drug my feet on that. I drug my feet, I drug my feet, I drug my feet. I'm going, Lord, I don't want him to go. I don't want him to go. I'm confessing this before you. Listen, I'm, I'm weak just like you guys are at times. I was going to do it, but it was grieving my heart that I was going to lose my friend. And, and eventually, Tim, he confronted me and said, Dude, they don't have your recommendation are you not recommending me to go? Are you saying there's something wrong in my life? Oh, absolutely not. Why didn't you do it? You said you were going to do it, but you didn't. You know what? You are right. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And you know what, Tim? I've sinned. I've absolutely sinned before you. I, I, I didn't do it. I didn't want to do it. I held back. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to lose my friend. And I'm sorry. I blew it. He, he, Tim had some 
pretty confronting words with me that day. Man, I trusted you. I trust you. We're friends. You said you would do it and you didn't. Why? I, I, and I can't buy that it's just because you're my friend. I said, man, it's my sin. I'm, I've sinned. I've blown it, man. And I've, I've regretted this moment. I knew that this day was going to come when you'd confront me on this. And, and, and we had a, a come to Jesus meeting where I basically got taken behind the woodshed. And, and at the end of the day, you know, I repented obviously before Tim. Uh, that was long before he left here. Tim and I, Tim is one of my best friends even to this day. But here's the thing. It felt so good. It felt so horrible to be separated from that relationship, knowing that my relationship because of me was about to be severed. And I knew that he had every right in the book to sever his relationship with me. But he didn't. When I repented, though there was discussion, he accepted my repentance. And there was a hug. And there was an appreciation for scripturally handling a situation that I didn't handle so very well myself. And, and my brother and I, Tim, became even closer in the midst of that. And do you know how freeing it was for me to have that off my shoulder? I said, man, I'll write it out. I'll write it out right now, man. I'll do it. I've wronged you. I'll do it. And as I'm thinking of this story, I don't remember if he even had me do it then or not. He never went. God called him to stay here for a little bit. I think it was another two years that he stayed here before he took off and went to Columbia and started Calvary Chapel Columbia, which, by the way, they're doing fascinating up there. They're doing such a good job up there. But here's the thing. It was so freeing when I came back and that relationship was restored. There was such a, a, a gratefulness of my own spirit that a brother would accept my repentance, true repentance, and that the relationship was restored. And he and I are incredibly close, even to this day. But, but it went through a harsh time because of me. Maybe you identify with something like that. I don't know what happens to this guy. But I'm going to say, according to what the Lord says about the woman that, that I, I believe it was a woman that, that, that uh, uh, broke uh, an alabaster flask of oil upon the, the feet of Jesus to anoint his feet. It's basically a year's wage of a normal person that that alabaster flask of oil cost. And she broke the top of that off and she sat there and she anointed the feet of Jesus in that house. And she washed his feet, wiped his feet with that oil, that fragrant, very fragrant oil. And then she took her hair and dried his feet with her hair, probably not having even a towel. But here's the thing. 
when she left and Jesus left and they went their separate ways that day, there was only two people in that whole city that smelt just like that. It was Jesus and it was that woman who in humility came before the Lord and anointed him. And Jesus was questioned, why would you allow such an expensive bottle? Oh, by, by the way, it was Judas that did it. You remember, he was the treasurer. <laughs> the treasurer. And Judas says, why couldn't this have been sold? Do you know how much money we could have gotten for this? And we would have given it to the poor. But there's actually documentary right there that t- tells us why Judas even said that in the first place because he was skimming off the top. He was padding his pockets with the, with the money that was there. But Jesus says something, and I believe it was about this woman. He says, to, to the person who has been forgiven much, that one loves much. He who is forgiven much loves much. And here's the thing. When this guy is welcomed back into the church, not kicked out, not living in the extremes. Guys, gang, this is what we need. We're living in extremes today politically, aren't we? We're living in extremes. You're either this, you're either a conservative or a liberal, and if you're not one of them, we're going to beat you. <laughs> you're, either, you're either you hate Donald Trump or you love Donald Trump, but there is no middle ground. We have, we've cut some lines, and, and there is middle ground, by the way. But we have such polar opposites here. And the thing is, extremism is not a a, a good thing, especially in the church. In the church, when you sit here and you go, "Ah, I'm just going to accept this sin because I'm being very Christ-like. Know this, Christ doesn't accept that kind of sin. Christ is not, that's not cool with Christ. Christ. Christ doesn't just accept sin. Your sin will find you out. But Christ doesn't... If you're you're going to be Christ, you're going to confront the sin. You remember John chapter 8? Woman caught in the act of adultery. Did Jesus go, well, you got caught in the act of adultery. Well, I accept you. No, he does say, I'm not condemning you. But, but, conjunction, junction, what's your function? It's going to attach it, right? I'm not condemning you, but go and what? Sin no more. Don't do that. Was Jesus accepting of the sin? Absolutely not. He's saying, no, that was sin. I'm not going to beat you down. Here's it is. Go, you're free. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Be free, but be free to not do that anymore. You see? To live on one end of the extreme or the other is to not represent Christ properly. That goes for church. That goes for each one of our individual lives. I'm out of time. Here's the thing. Live your life in such a way that people see Jesus. You know, the easiest way for that to happen 
It's for you and I to get out of the way. It's for us to start our day looking in the mirror. And, and sometimes we need to hear ourselves say it. Point yourself in the mirror. You might be, you know, someone might call you a crackpot. Point yourself in the mirror and say, Hey, dude, today it isn't about you. It's about Christ. And sometimes I have to remind myself, man, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you, Don. It's not about you. It's about Christ. I've been bought with a price. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And so when I get offended, when I get hurt, when I get you know, beaten down, when I get depressed, when I get distressed, I have, to, I have to myself, you have to do it yourself. We all have to individually go before the Lord and say, Lord, help me to quit taking the reins of my life back. It's not about me, it's about you. Lord, you knew this did not surprise you that I find myself in this position today. This does not surprise you that I'm having to confront this issue today. Lord, help me to do it that would best represent you. Gang, listen. A lot of our issues, a lot of our problems, a lot of our depression would be kicked out the window if that's the way that we lived our life. Lord, to live my life this day to best represent you so that at the end of the day I can say, here it is, Lord, I offer these last hours that I've lived to you. Because here's the thing. If it were up to me, I would have done this or I would have done that. I would have, I would have allowed them in the church or I would have kicked them out of the church. But I wouldn't have gone to them like you would have. Lord, help me to live my life the way that you would live my life if you were in my skin. Because you know what? He is. Gang, he is. Let's live for him. Father, I, I pray. Lord, I know I didn't finish this chapter, but I know that the essence of, of uh, this part of the body here, of this text, I think has been exhausted now. Lord, our life is to represent you and you alone. It's not about us. It's not about how we feel. It's not about how we would judge. Well, if I was Christ, then I would accept this. Well, it's not about that. You've never asked us to say, well, if I were Jesus, I would do this. No, you've, you will always point us to what is it that I would, what I would have you to do. Not what you would do if you were me. You're not. You're not me. You're my child. You are my servant. And you are the apple of my eye. You are not simply a, a slave that I beat down. I don't do that to you. I've demonstrated my own love towards you so graphically that while you were still in your sin, I, I died for you. Lord, you showed us what love is. You showed us what sacrifice is. You showed us what acceptance is. And you showed us what consequences look like when we reject that. Those gifts that you give to us, that gift of eternal life. 
You remain constant, Lord. Not accepting of sin, but not kicking somebody out so far that they can never see the light of you ever again. Because, Lord, you take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, your word says. Your word also says that you are not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so, Lord, help us to live our life in such a way that no matter what, at the end of the day, we can honestly say, hey, what I said to people that I ran into on a day, on this day, maybe my family, that I really wanted to give it to them because that's who I, that's what I would say. That's what they need me to hear because that's who I've always been. Lord, help us not to live that life anymore. Help us to live the life that you, you want us to live. Help us to say the words that you want us to say. Help us to confront where confrontation is, is necessary. Help us to confront with love, compassion and mercy, but willingness to follow through. But when it's time, Lord, to receive repentance and restoration and renewal, Lord, even though we might not want to, that's your MO, Lord. That's you. That's what you do. It's what you do with us on a day-by-day basis. God, help us to follow suit. Help us to do what you would do. Help us to receive. Help us to accept the repentance. Help us, help us to restore. Help us to show and, and demonstrate and, and exemplify your love back to this person who maybe has wronged us or wronged others or wronged you. God, we are just asking that we can become more like you and get our eyes off of us. That we can employ the the battle cry of John the Baptist when his disciples came back to him and said, more people are following after Jesus and, and they're leaving you to do it. And John's battle cry from that day forward was, oh, he must increase and I must decrease. God, May that be our battle cry as Christians in this day, living in this day. God, that we would be pleasing in your eyes. We would live for you. For in living for you, we will accomplish much more for you than we ever would in our own strength. So Lord, we lift up our lives to you. I lift up these dear, precious saints to you. And Lord, I know a message like this might cause some, and hopefully it's caused all of us, to reflect upon our own individual personal life. As as I'm speaking, as you're speaking through me, Lord, you're touching every heart in here. You're speaking to to people. You're revealing to them where they have, have maybe fallen short in some areas of their life. Lord, Not that they be beaten down, but Lord, that they can go and address this issue, repent of it, confess it, repent of it, and be restored for your purpose, Lord, because that's who you are. That's how you roll, Lord. You, God, are a God of forgiveness, restoration, and renewal. God, we love you for that. I thank you, God. We all thank you, God, that you do not hold our sin against us when we bring them to you, Lord. You give us life. You give us forgiveness. You give us heaven. We thank you, God. You are such an awesome God. 
I mean, just to think about you and think about your love and think about your grace and your mercy that you show to us. God, give us that same heart for others, even those who spitefully use us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.